kept by His grace. One of my professors at seminary used to refer to the Bible as God's love letter to His people. And the more I have come to understand what the Bible is and its message, the more I've come to, to agree with him. It's a very true saying. If you think about it, the Bible is not first and foremost, as some would like to make it out to be, the Bible is not first and foremost a, a record and display of our sins, you know, constantly pushing it into our faces again and again on every page. Though, of course, our sin is very clear in the Bible. You can't read the Bible without coming out with, of it with a very clear understanding of our sinful state before a holy God. But much more than that, the Bible comes to us and acquaints us, introduces us to the God who created us in love. The God who continued to love us even when we fell away into sin and we fled from His presence. The God who made promises of restoration to us and never took back those promises. And all through history, this God, the Bible teaches us, is gathering and gathering to Himself a people whom He loves in Christ. And, and when we think about that, that's a shocking truth, that God would love us, any one of us. Because if we are absolutely honest, we know that there is nothing really love-worthy in us. Were it not for the grace of God, and boys and girls, when we speak of the grace of God, we mean the undeserving favor of God. God giving to us something we don't deserve. Were it not for the grace of God, none of us would have any hope of salvation. And as if that were not already too much to take in, the fact that God would love people like you and me. The Bible also trumpets that the love that God has for us in Christ cannot and will not be dissolved, annihilated, or taken back. Not by our misdeeds and failings, not by any treacherous force in this universe. And that, brothers and sisters, is the greatest consolation we can ever find in this life. Because as we continue our pilgrimage here on earth, we learn very quickly, don't we? That there is no comfort to be found in our own efforts, our own track record as we look back on our lives. Now, how, how nice it would be, how wonderful it would be that any one of us could say and, and mean it and know that we would never go back on our word. How wonderful it would be if we could say, I will never forsake the Lord Jesus Christ. Other people may have, but I never will. I will always love the Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful it would be if we, any of us could actually say that and mean it. But we know that if God our Father did not keep His gracious hand upon us, our love for Him would last only as long as the next trial or temptation comes by. But the Bible sets before us, as we see this morning, the God whose love never changes, the God who will never repossess His love. And this is true not because of anything we have done, anything we can do, but because of what Christ has done. We, he we heard in verse 34, He died and he rose, and he now sits at God's right hand, making intercession for us, ever securing God's love toward us. And that, friends, is good news.
Our theme this morning as we look at Romans 8 verses 35 to 39 is this. We for whom Christ died confess that nothing can sever us from God's love. We for whom Christ died confess that nothing can sever us from God's love. We'll see in the first place two points. That no earthly dangers can sever us from God's love. And in the second place, nothing in all creation can sever us from God's love. But as we for whom Christ died confess that nothing can sever us from God's love, we see in the first place that we are to fear no earthly dangers. We're thinking specifically here of the dangers that may come our way in this life as we live our calling on this earth. Dangers that threaten, dangers that even do physical or emotional harm to us. Paul, once again, let's listen to his words in verses 35 to 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul's point here, or we might say the gist of what he's saying, the thing he wants us to take away from this, from Paul's perspective, is that whatever we may be called upon in this life to suffer, nothing can ever deprive us of the love of Christ who died for us. The goal of Paul here, understanding human nature, understanding our sin, our, our, our doubts, our fears from time to time, the temptations that we give into so easily, Paul's goal here is to take away any doubt from the hearts of believers, even that we would despise or look down upon the things that trouble us. And if we follow Paul's argument in the book of Romans, we cannot see it any other way. It's a logical conclusion that he comes to, that nothing can sever us from God's love. Paul begins in the first three chapters of the book of Romans describing our lostness and hopelessness in light of the sin that has invaded our nature. But then in chapter 3, he announces God's mercy and grace in Christ. And we hear that he who is supremely just has, in fact, justified us through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. God himself has provided a righteousness for us that we could never achieve because of our sins. In Romans 4, we hear that our salvation is a fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. In chapter 5 of Romans, we hear of the peace that God has now established between us and himself through Christ and the superiority of Christ to the first Adam. In chapter 6, we hear of our calling to put sin to death and live to serve the one who has saved us. And sadly, in chapter 7, we hear of our ongoing struggle with sin as, as Paul describes his own struggle with sin, the things I want to do, I don't do, and so on. We hear again and we're reminded of the lawlessness and rebellion that still surges through our veins, causing us to do what we don't want to do. But then in chapter 8, Paul pulls it all together and he applies all of this to the rest of our lives. We may in Christ confess that there is therefore now that wonderful verse, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We do not stand under condemnation now in Christ and there is none, there's no condemnation that awaits us beyond this life through Christ. Indeed, we have been given 
Paul tells us in Romans 8, the spirit of adoption by whom we acknowledge and know God as our Father. And that spirit, he says, Romans 8 verse 16, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He makes us groan for the final redemption. He helps us in our weaknesses. He even helps us in our prayers. And in verses 29 and following, we hear of God's predestination and the security that this affords us. And then in light of all of this, Paul asks a series of questions designed to show us that we possess a salvation that is really unshakable and unchanging. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect, those God has chosen? Who is he that condemns? And then in our text, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And if we understand the Bible and the message that it brings of God's grace to hopeless sinners, we have to say, who indeed? Who indeed will separate us from the love of God in Christ? If God the Father so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son for us, if He, as we heard earlier, did not spear His own Son but gave Him up into the hands of evil men for us, delivered Him up for us, If the God that we worship, the God of the Bible, who has revealed himself to us in this love letter called the Bible, if his very nature is faithful, unchanging, gracious, who or what can sever us from his love? If Jesus, our Savior, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. If Jesus, our Savior, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the weight of his impending death, not to mention the rejection and mocking of those he came to save, so distressed him that Luke records that his sweat fell to the ground as drops of blood. If Jesus stayed the course through all of these things, will he now allow us to be separated from his love? The answer has to be no. Paul asks, can uh, tribulation or distress cut us off from Christ's love? He gives a number of examples of things that can trouble us in this life. Can uh, tribulation or distress. Now, these two words here are often tied together by Paul. And most scholars believe that they refer to external and internal suffering. The first word had the original meaning of to crush or squeeze. And it was used in the context of winemaking, where grapes had to be crushed or squeezed so you can get the juice to make wine. But as language develops and sometimes certain words are drawn into slang and and common language, the word that's translated here, um, uh, tribulation, which was originally uh, used in the context of crushing or squeezing, this word then began to be used to describe physical pain and suffering. And so you hear it used, for instance, in John 16, verse 21, of the anguish of a woman in labor. Same Greek word. And we hear it in John 16, verse 33, when Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble or tribulation. And so when Paul uses this word here and he says, can this separate you from the love of Christ? He's talking here about illness in this life, pain and suffering, accident, financial difficulty, uh, death, accidental death, 
life in this fallen world. The, the, the things that can really cause us pain and suffering in this fallen world. The second word translated distress in our ESVs literally means a narrow place. But again, being adopted into as, as slang into normal lang Greek language, it came to be used to, be, to mean being in a difficult situation. Being in a difficult situation. It's like how we say, we still talk like that. It's like how we say, I'm in a tight spot right now, right? Or we say, I'm up a creek without a canoe, or I'm between a rock and a hard place. We still talk like that. We're talking about situations here in which we are undergoing great stress, great pressure in our lives. And whatever difficulties we're facing is causing us, causing us great emotional suffering. And the question Paul is asking here is, can these things separate us from the love of Christ? And then there is persecution. And by persecution here, we mean the hostility of the world, which to the Christian comes because of our unity with Christ. And when Paul wrote this, the possibility of being arrested and even executed for being a convert to Christianity was a very real and present danger, as it still is in many countries today. Many are martyred. Many are tortured. Many are left in deplorable conditions in prisons because they commit this one great crime in the eyes of their fellow countrymen. They confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Paul says here, even if you go through these things, can that separate you from the love of Christ? Absolutely not. And if not, what about the danger of famine? That is, hunger. Or we can even say to be in want, to be in any kind of, uh, uh, to be in lack of the necessities that we need to sustain us, right? We know that people die in the world from famine. Christians too. The question is, can that sever them from the love of Christ? And the answer again, absolutely not. What about nakedness? That is to be without clothing. Now, it's hard for us to really understand that because we probably have drawers full and closet fulls of clothes. But in biblical times, outer garments were precious. For most people, it was not a matter of style as it is today, but survival. If you didn't have clothes, you had a hard time surviving. You needed protection from the cold of the night and the heat of the day. Clothes kept you from not only discomfort, but kept you safe from health risks due to the weather. And many in that time could only afford something of an outer wrap. That's all they could afford. That's why you find even the clothes of Jesus being uh, coveted and divided up. And yet, poverty, nakedness, cannot separate us from the love of God. And then there is perils. The only place where this is used in the New Testament is in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 26. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 26. Paul talks about his missionary journeys and the hardships that he faced. And he said, on, fr on frequent journeys in danger, same Greek word, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. That's the only other place in the New Testament where that same Greek word is used that's translated perils in our ESV. And so the sense of the Greek word is things that threaten life and limb. And by the way, we're reminded here that Paul could write these letters 
that what is before us in Romans 8 and many other places, not as one who sat in his study and theorized about the hardships of the mission field. Paul had lived it. He had experienced it. And he continued to live it. And if it wasn't any of these things, there was, of course, the danger of the sword. And the senses of violent death. That's what he's referring to here. Violent death through the weapons of the Jews or the Romans. John the baptizer. And so I'm saying this is a, was a reality in the Christian world. John the baptizer was beheaded. James, the brother of Jesus, was killed with the sword at the order of King Herod. And Paul, according to church tradition, would meet the same end of beheading. And this kind of violence was not unexpected in the church. In fact, Paul, in Romans 8.36, he's actually quoting Psalm 44, verse 22 here. And he makes that quotation to remind Christians that it was actually written in the Old Testament scriptures, ordained by God, that for the sake of Christ, believers would be killed continually. They would be considered or regarded or reckoned as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, when my wife used to travel around with me, I would always get a kick out of uh, when these cattle trucks would drive by and they would have these pigs sticking their little snouts out the little holes on the side. And my wife would always say, I'll never eat meat again. Look at those poor little piggies. Until you put a pork chop in front of her or a steak, right? And that was the end of that. But, but you know, when you see those trucks, you know where those piggies and cows, chickens, whatever it may be, are going, right? When animals are loaded up on a truck, when they reach the sufficient weight, nobody thinks they're going to a petting zoo or fields where they can frolic all day long. They're assigned, they're regarded, they're considered for the butcher. Right? When they achieve that certain weight, the better place. We might tell their children, well, little, um, the little piggy we raise is going to a better place. But the better place, of course, is someone's freezer. We know that. That's their destiny. Well, Paul is reminding us here that there will always be people, enemies of Christ in this world, who will look at Christians in that way. You guys are nothing else but good for slaughter, death, sword. Driven by the evil forces of nature, there will always be those who see us as nothing more in this world as a nuisance to be eliminated without conscience. And they do it because we belong to and confess Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now let's return to the main question. Can any of these things, any of these earthly dangers separate us from the love of God in Christ? And the answer, beloved, is absolutely not. In fact, Paul goes on to say in verse 37, Listen to this. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The sense of the Greek is not just that we are going to win, but that we will experience an overwhelming triumph. We will vanquish beyond what is even expected. We will be super victorious when it seems to our enemies that we have lost. We have actually gained and gained a resounding victory. And this again, not of ourselves, it is through him who loved us, Paul reminds us. In Christ, we can be assured and confident that none of the dangers that threaten us in this life can sever us from the love of God. Because of the perfect love of, of Christ, because of his perfect work, we have a salvation that can never be lost. Nothing 
that can befall us in this life can deprive us of God's favor and blessing. And brethren, that is vital information, as you and I know. Because we all can go through tough times in life, ups and downs in life. There are times when we will wonder if God still loves us. We all have days, moments perhaps, when, we've come, when we come to the point where we think, perhaps I really did it this time. Perhaps I really went too far. Maybe I, I committed a sin so great that God is, has washed his hands of me, he's done with me. Maybe it's, it's because life is not going as we would have expected. Maybe as we have been praying for. Sometimes illness comes into our lives. Illness toward us or our loved ones. Financial hardship, as maybe some of us are experiencing in these times. Even our own sin and lack of commitment to God can cause us to question whether we are still in good with Him. And as long as we live on this earth, we will be on the receiving end of unfair treatment and unjust accusations. We'll face marital problems, the stresses of relationships, the stresses of being single, confusion as parents as we raise our children in this very difficult culture. But we're reminded here in this passage that no matter what we may be required to suffer in this life, as painful as tragic, as trying as it may be, we always be, will have a resounding, overwhelming victory through Jesus Christ. And no earthly dangers can ever sever us from God's love in Him. But as we for whom Christ died confess that nothing can sever us from God's love, we see in the second place that we are to fear nothing in all of creation. And this is referring to what Paul says in verses 38 to 39. He says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now Paul now expands his encouragement to us to include every possible threat in the universe. Of course, he can't cover every single thing, but he, that's the impression he leaves. Whatever you can conceive of, none of it can ever sever you, sever you from God's love. Nothing but nothing shall separate us from God's love in Christ. And again, Christ is the basis for our efforts. It's not our, our own efforts. Christ is the basis for our comfort. Only in Christ does the love of God become ours, and only through Him... That love is sustained and maintained. God's love, as it were, embraces us with the arms of Jesus. And we can never be pried out of those arms. Paul says that he was convinced of this. The NIV says that he was, oh, he was, he was sure of it. He was persuaded of it in other translations. The Greek grammar which is in the perfect tense, indicates that Paul was convinced and continue, continued to be convinced. Well, convinced of what? That nothing in all creation can cut us off as God's children from His love in Christ. Not death, no life. Think about what Paul writes here in Philippians. I think this uh, really sums it up for us. In Philippians 1.21 and following, Paul writes this, For to, me to, uh, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Right? Uh, and then he goes on to speak about departing and being with Christ. And so death does not separate us from God's love. 
death is not our annihilation. It is our entrance into the presence of the Lord more fully. Death certainly does not separate us from the love of God. But then he says this weird thing. Neither does life. What in the world does that mean? Life does not separate us from the love of God. Well, simply put, here's what he means. As long as he lived, as, as we live in these bodies, we will be afflicted with sin. As long as we live, as Paul says elsewhere, in these fleshly tents, right? We'll always be afflicted with sin. And sin, because we're still prone to sin, sin, in a sense, poses a threat to our spiritual well-being and our relationship to God. Why? We can do things like backslide. We can wander from the path, from the right, or we can go to the right or to the left. We can go through periods and times and seasons when we indulge the sinful nature a little bit too much. And then, as Jesus mentions in Mark 4, in that great parable of the sower, there are the cares of this world, there's the deceitfulness of riches, there are the, the desires for other things which can choke out the word. And brethren, if it were possible, we could forfeit our salvation. If it were possible, but of course, true believers, as good Reformed believers, we know that. True believers can't lose their salvation. And Paul is emphasizing that. That even if we live a long life, with all its temptations and trials, no matter what we do, cannot sever us from God's love in Christ. Even we, let's put it this way, even we cannot do ourselves in. That's how strong God's love and His hold is on us. Neither can angels or rulers. And these refer to the different orders of spiritual beings in the spiritual realms. We can think of the warnings of, of Ephesians 6 right away, boys and girls. Put on the armor of God, right? Because we don't fle uh, battle against flesh and blood, but against evil forces in the spiritual realms. Or even when Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 8, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, let him be accursed. And so there's a certain amount of fear of the things of the evil world that can try to do us in. Paul reminds us here then that even the, da the dangers of the spiritual realm, though they must be taken seriously, cannot ultimately succeed in causing us to lose our position before God. Neither can any powers and by these he means by this he means the powers of nature the elements speaking of the end times jesus says in matthew 24 verse 29 the sun will be darkened the moon will not give its light the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and so powers used in this context here then would seem to point us to things like the thunder lightning hail wind snow ice the sun which can smite us by day or the moon by night. None of these can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so we as God's people in Christ are not to fear. Even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, the waters roar and foam and the mountains shake, we know that we are in our Father's hands. And these, even these things cannot separate us from His love. Neither can things present nor things to come or things in the future. Nothing that we are facing now or will face down the road. Not height nor depth. That is, nothing in all heaven, nothing in all of the earth. Nothing in all creation 
can contribute to our losing God's salvation in Christ. And so, again, Paul leaves no doubt here. He leaves no possibility uncovered. Anything someone could come up with is covered by these verses here. Nothing in all creation can sever us from God's love. God's love for us is so strong. His commitment to us is so unshaking. His grace is so rich and deep that nothing can reverse, alter, or snatch it away from us. And congregation, again, what wonderful news. How wonderful, how glorious, how certain is is God's love toward us in Christ Jesus. And to be reminded that that love cannot be lost, not by our misdeeds or the misdeeds of the world, not be taken away from us by the devil with every spiritual force in the universe accessible to him. For those genuinely converted to Christ and possess his Holy Spirit, not even our own deeds or misdeeds can ultimately sabotage our salvation. Why? Because God, our Father, the Almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the author and the finisher of our faith, the sovereign creator and ruler of this world, he he loves us in his Son, Jesus Christ. And he is powerful. And he is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his glorious presence with exceeding joy. And so take heart, fellow Christians. In this world, we will have trouble. But Christ has secured our place in the cradle of God our Father's arms. Amen.